Good morning. It's 11 minutes before 8 a.m. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Wednesday, June 28, 2023. I'm Peter Apathy with Raven News. The Asitka Assembly has unanimously approved amending language to city code that specifies who can perform on public property, commonly called busking. The rationale for the change is to create more opportunities for kids to earn money from visitors to Sitka. The language has been expanded from musician and now includes, quote, persons, including juveniles, entertaining the public by speaking, acting, dancing, singing, playing a musical instrument, or other performance. Buskers still have to obtain a $10 entertainment permit from City Hall. In other business, the Assembly agreed to allow Administrator John Leach to apply for a $3 million grant from the U.S. Department of Energy for the Thimbleberry Bypass Project. Rerouting the main power lines from landslide-prone areas around Hart and Thimbleberry Lakes has been identified in Sitka's strategic plan. Utility Director Scott Elder said his preference would be to move the line away from the mountainside or put it underground in the most troublesome area. A third possibility, which Elder said was expensive and unrealistic, would be to move the line to the Sawmill Creek Road right-of-way. The Assembly unanimously approved the promotion of Ron Vinson from Asset Manager to Public Works Director. Vincent has been serving as Interim Public Works Director since the beginning of May. Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis said his only objection to Vincent's promotion would be the difficulty in hiring another asset manager to replace him. And finally, the mayor and administrator reported on their informal poll of Lincoln Street businesses on their reaction to the number of cruise passengers in town on Wednesday, June 21st, nearly 10,000 in all. Eisenbeis said he got a clear message. The feeling even from from the merchants who standed to profit from that was that 10,000 people in one day was far too many. And I I say that not because it was one or two, um, but it was everybody. Leach said he heard much the same thing and that he had already written a letter to the Cruise Line International Association to that effect. Tune in to KCAW News tonight at 5.18 p.m. for more details on these stories or find the news online at kcaw.org. When China stopped accepting plastic for recycling in 2018, it was a blow to many municipalities in the U.S. who had conditioned their residents to dutifully save their plastic and deposit it on the curb every week, or, as in Sitka, haul it to a local recycling collection center. What happened to the plastic after that was uncertain. It was stockpiled, or in many cases, landfilled with regular trash. On the central Kenai Peninsula, many of those worries have eased as an innovative recycling program is giving plastic a second life as lumber. And while it's not a perfect program, it is promising. KDLL's Riley Board visited the mobile facility that turns waste into wood and has this story. At the Diamond M Ranch in Kenai, amid a field of cows, a mobile machine is turning post-consumer plastic into usable lumber. Large white bags sit in the pasture, stuffed with milk jugs, clamshell containers, and industrial-looking materials. As you can see here, just lots and lots of plastics. Jerry Miller is the plant manager. Today, he's overseeing work at the site, which has been set up in Kenai for a couple weeks. This facility is the project of Patrick Simpson, an Anchorage-based engineer who won a competitive EPA grant to turn plastic into lumber. 
He has a mobile operation based out of a 53-foot trailer and travels between different communities that stockpile post-consumer plastics, grinding and melting them into a new form. On site, Miller explains the process. First, the plastic heads up a repurposed wood conveyor and into a grinder, where it's processed into small plastic chips. The bulk of that plastic comes from industrial oil operations on the North Slope. You see all these things here, it looks like big caps. Those are drill pipe cap protectors from different drilling organizations. They go on to protect the threads on the pipe, and what they do is when they're done with their useful life, they clean them and process them where we can actually get them and grind them up. Miller says it's a high-grade, high-density plastic that makes the perfect base for their product. Those caps comprise 75% of the lumber. The other 25% is post-consumer plastic, collected from the community in a popular program that began last summer. Simpson collected numbers 1, 2, 4, and 5 plastics at drop sites in Soldatna, Seward, and Homer. That publicly recycled plastic can be a bit of a problem for the grinder, called a granulator. Miller says even a little bit of metal can damage the blade. Actually touch each and every piece to make sure the machine doesn't go get gummed up with metal because it'll damage the cutting blades. In the granulator, the plastic is turned into fine, relatively uniform shards of plastic, and the chips get put back into those giant sacks. Miller runs his hands through the material. This bag is all green, thanks to a surplus of emerald thread protectors. Other common colors are purple and black. Once the plastic is ground, it's time for the extruder. You can think of the extruder just like stuffing sausage casings. The machine heats the material to 425 degrees. Then it pushes the melted plastic into steel molds that approximate traditional lumber sizes. Lots of 2x4s, 2x6s, and some custom orders for a federal agency. It takes only a few minutes to fill each mold. Then the plastic cools inside the steel and is unmolded in perfect green plastic logs. That lumber, called grizzly wood, is more durable outside than wood and denser, which Miller says makes it a great candidate for picnic tables and industrial sources. It's just the nice thing about it is it's not going to rot. Miller says the overall process is pretty efficient. The nice thing about the grizzly wood as well, one other benefit is just like when you're building anything, you have your cutoffs. What do you do with those? Most people throw them in the fireplace or whatever. With this, you can bring it back, we can regrind it and make more wood out of it. This processing facility means that Kenai area residents can bring their plastics to Diamond M Ranch. But overall, the plastic collection program is still in a state of flux. Simpson put that program on pause in April when he ran out of storage containers. Now, he's on the hunt for a baler to reduce the sizes of the collected plastics and a permanent year-round collection site. He says he hopes to reopen the program in September, but that's not guaranteed. The mobile lumber setup will be in Kenai for a couple more weeks. Then it's headed off to Midtown Anchorage in July, Seward in August, and Palmer for the winter. In Kenai, I'm Riley Board. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration released an updated population estimate for Cook Inlet beluga whales, which offers hope for a recovery. Since 1979, the belugas have seen a 75% decline. 
Historically, their numbers ranged around 1,300, but by 2018, their numbers had dwindled to 279. This year, they reached 331. As KNBA's Hannah Bissett reports, that's the first increase in decades. The population estimate for coconut beluga whales has been delayed since 2018 due to challenges such as the pandemic and weather restrictions. It's finally been conducted this year, providing important information about the current status of this endangered species. There has been a recent positive development as the population has witnessed its first increase in estimation in decades. The population estimate pool has been raised by around 100 whales. According to NOAA biologist Paul Wade, the new development shows that the population is finally stable. However, when we look back over the 10-year window, because 10 years gives us enough data points to, to make some sort of conclusive statement, it looks like it actually was declining and then increased, and then overall that evens out to being stable. This change could be impacted by several factors, including, but not limited to, points of pollution and decreased noise pollution. The actual cause of the median increase is still being studied. As to get an accurate idea, you would need multiple years to showcase the incline. Reagan Davy is a chemist dedicated to advancing research and resources to enhance our understanding of coconut beluga whales. Davy emphasizes that a decade ago, a list of contaminants of the coconut was identified. There are hundreds of mixing zones that are approved for the Cook Inlet. However, the tests taken to showcase the pollution in the mixing zones have yet to yield definitive results regarding every impurity found in the area. What I think would be great is if they did have to test for every contaminant because then you could directly relate it to a source, but that's not how it goes. So, and they do issue and report what is over the limit. They don't have to test for everything. Another concern that has come up recently has been the small population of beached whales with incomplete pregnancies with birth defects. But the amount is too small to have conclusive data. The incline of the median still needs to be thoroughly dissected to get a complete picture of how the belugas are truly doing. For KMBA News, I'm Hannah Bissett. Alaska will receive $1 billion in federal funding for affordable high-speed internet service, the U.S. Department of Commerce announced on Monday. As reported in the Alaska Beacon, nearly 90,000 homes and small businesses in the state lack access to a high-speed connection. A timetable for a rollout wasn't identified in the announcement, nor were the logistics of delivering broadband to the most remote part of the state. The money is part of the Biden-Harris administration's Internet for All initiative, which makes $42 billion available nationwide through a broadband equity program. Alaska is one of nine states to receive over $1 billion. In a press conference, Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan welcomed the funding but said the Surgeon General's recent report on the connection between social media and adverse mental health outcomes shows that social media and big tech need to be regulated more strictly at the national level. And that's all for Raven News for this hour. You can listen to or read our stories.